take your copy of God's Word this morning and open to Matthew chapter 5. And in fact, your Bible I might already be marked there because we're in this series. Uh, we began last week on the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5. I understand a minister, a Boy Scout, and a computer expert were the only passengers on a small plane. A minister, a Boy Scout, and a computer expert. And the pilot came back into the cabin and told them that the plane was going down. There were only three parachutes and four people. And the pilot added that I should have one of the parachutes because I have a wife and three small children. So he grabbed a parachute and jumped out. The computer whiz among the group said, well, I should have one of the parachutes because I'm the smartest man in the world and everyone needs me. So he took one and jumped. The minister turned to the Boy Scout with a sad smile. He said, you are young and I've lived a rich life. So you take the remaining parachute and I'll go down with the plane. And the Boy Scout looked at the minister and he said, relax, Reverend. He said, the smartest man in the world just picked up my backpack and jumped out of the plane. (laughs) I guess that's a vivid picture of where the Bible says that a prideful spirit goes before a fall. But you know, if truth were known, a lot of people think that they're better off than they really are. I think about the words of the Lord Jesus in the book of Revelation as He's speaking to the churches there And he says to the Laodicean church in Revelation chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, these words, the Lord Jesus speaking to the church says, You say I am rich and I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And in fact, he goes on to counsel them in verses 18 and 19 by telling them, I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you'll be rich. Also buy white garments for me so you will not be shamed by your nakedness. And ointment for your eyes so you'll be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love so be, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. They thought that they really had reached, they were really something. And the Lord Jesus says, no, this is what you really are. You're poor and you're blind and you're miserable and you're naked. And I wonder if He might say the same to us today. I wonder if we really grasp and understand exactly how needy we are. You might be thinking, well, preacher, where in the world is this coming from? What got you on this train of thought? Well, to be honest, the the Beatitudes did. The Beatitudes. Now, you're in Matthew chapter 5, and last week we started this series we're calling Blessed. And we mentioned to you this is the introduction. The Beatitudes are the introduction of the Lord Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And I told you last week that they're a picture of what a disciple looks like. And we stressed and emphasized and tried to make sure you understood these are not a list of do's and don'ts to get into the kingdom of God. They describe someone who's already in the kingdom. They describe what a disciple of the Lord Jesus looks like. And today we're going to begin looking at the Beatitudes one by one. And we find ourselves at the very first one there in verse 3. So there it is, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. I have it on the screen in front of me. Let's read it together. We won't read the reference, but you read it out loud with me today. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's read it again. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Now, if you're a true child of God, if you're a follower, disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, that verse describes you. But you look at that verse and maybe you're like me and say, well, preacher, I'm not even sure about that. I'm not even sure what that even means. Blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So let's unpack that verse together together today, okay? Let's notice, first of all, as we explore it, that we are poor in spirit. We are poor in spirit. And you might be thinking, well, what in the world does that mean? Well, you know, sometimes it helps to understand what something means by understanding what it does not mean. And so let's talk about what it doesn't mean. Notice it's not talking about being physically poor. It doesn't say blessed are those who are poor in possessions or poor in stuff or poor in money. It says that blessed are those who are poor in spirit. So we're not talking about the outward man, right? We're talking about the inward man. Not the outside, but the inside. It means to be poor spiritually. You're spiritually poor. But then we kind of scratch our heads and say, well, what exactly does that mean? To be poor spiritually. Well, let's talk more about what it doesn't mean. Maybe that'll help us some even more. John Blanchard, as I was studying this past week, did a wonderful job summarizing this, so I'll summarize him. It does not mean, listen, some need to hear this, it does not mean that you're mean-spirited. Boy, she's sure poor in spirit. That's not what it means at all. That, God, that Jesus is saying, blessed are you if you're mean in spirit. That's not what it means. It also does not mean blessed are those who are intellectually poor. That is, lacking wisdom, lacking knowledge. You're blessed if you don't have... Uh, intellectual um, wisdom. It doesn't mean that you have a poor self-image. That uh, you feel like you're worthless and and you don't uh, count for anything. That's not what it means at all. Uh, It doesn't mean that you have a natural diffidence. You know, some people are naturally shy and retiring and and they kind of go back. That's not what it means. And it also does not mean, please hear this, it does not mean a false humility. Uh, those who deny their uh, talents and their giftings and they deny uh, all those things um, many times falsely and many times hypocritically. That's not what it's talking about at all. So it doesn't mean you're mean-spirited or intellectually poor or poor self-image or, or naturally diffident or, or false humility or you're literally poor, you don't have much and you don't have much stuff or money. It doesn't mean that at all. You say, well, what does it mean? Well, I'm glad you asked because I want to walk through that with you. We're helped when we go back. You know, we have the English Bible in front of us. And here in the New Testament, you have the Greek that's been translated into the English. And when you look at that word poor there in our English Bible, it has the idea of being humble, but it goes even further than that. In fact, it's a picture of abject poverty. In fact, it's a picture of a beggar. It's the picture of a beggar. So spiritually speaking, we're poor. Spiritually speaking, we are beggars. We are spiritual beggars. Put another way, we are spiritually bankrupt. We are spiritually bankrupt. Now please hear me, beloved. We have nothing to offer spiritually speaking. It's not the fact that, you know, we're okay. We just have a few deficiencies and a few shortcomings and we need God to come along and help us out a little. No, beloved, we are beggars. We have nothing, spiritually speaking. In fact, the book of Romans, and if you're reading the New Testament with us, you know, we're in the book of Romans right now. And in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, listen to what it says. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. 
There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. None. We are spiritual beggars. We have nothing to offer. We're not just a little deficient. We're beggars. Abject poverty before the Lord of glory. Now, you know that these Beatitudes, they describe a citizen of the kingdom. We said already they don't list the do's and don'ts of getting in the kingdom. They instead describe those who are already in the kingdom. But you know what? This first Beatitude reminds us of how we became a citizen in the first place. You realize, I hope, that in order to be saved, in order to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have to recognize and understand and accept the fact that we are spiritually bankrupt. And until a person understands that they're spiritually bankrupt, that they're undone, they cannot save themselves, they're helpless, they cannot and they will not be saved. A person has to realize that they are a sinner. They can't save themselves. They're totally helpless. They're spiritually bankrupt. And only then can they come to God in repentance and faith, trusting in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, I want to show you a picture of this kind of bankruptcy, this spiritual bankruptcy, this idea of being a beggar, being poor in spirit. Put your bookmark there in Matthew and turn to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. The Lord Jesus is going to speak a parable to us as we read Luke 18. And we see a picture of someone who's poor in spirit. And I'll go ahead and let you know we're also going to see a picture of someone who's not. Luke chapter 18. We'll begin reading at verse 9. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. We'll read through verse 14. Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So you have one who's religious, uh, one who's despised, one who thinks he's somebody, the other who people hate. And look at verse 11 of Luke 18. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. How would you like to be next to somebody like that? Praying in church. Lord, I thank you I'm not like that man over there. I'm not like that woman over there. In fact, verse 12, he says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. In other words, Lord, I'm really somebody. You're lucky to have me, Lord. Right? I mean, I'm just, I'm great. Verse 13. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I want you to notice what Jesus says about those two in verse 14. I tell you, this man, the tax collector, 
went down to his house justified rather than the other, the Pharisee, the religious man. Why? Jesus says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Do you see, beloved, the difference between someone who is poor in spirit and someone who is not? Beloved, that tax collector was spiritually bankrupt. And so are we. How many times have you sung these words, maybe not even thinking about them? Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no rest but no? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to thy fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. We are spiritually bankrupt. I think this is a good time for me to clarify and broaden on something I mentioned to you last week. I pointed out to you that Jesus is not only the one who gives the Beatitudes, He's also the perfect example of them. But we've got to remember something when we say that, and that is He never sinned. Now, He took our sin upon Himself, but He never sinned. And so He was poor in spirit, but not like us. He was not spiritually bankrupt. In fact, he was certainly the most perfect example of humility and dependence upon the Father. He said in John chapter 5, verse 30, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. And so when we say that Jesus is the perfect example of the Beatitudes, he is, but not exactly like us. Because He is God. He is perfect. He's the Creator. And so we have to remember that He is God and we are not. He was not poor in spirit. He took our sins upon Himself. He didn't have to mourn over His own sin. He mourned over sin but never His because He never sinned. Now, how does this whole idea of being poor in spirit uh, play out now that we are a child of God? Because we said that these Beatitudes describe people who are followers of the Lord, they're citizens of the kingdom. Uh, it's not a how to get into it. It reminds us of that. But this describes us now that we are citizens. And so, how does that work out now? How does this play out now? You know, it's important that we think carefully about ourselves. It's important that we think biblically about ourselves. Uh, Romans 12.3 says, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Listen, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. To think biblically, correctly, rightly. So how does this look in our lives as citizens of the kingdom of God? Well, we have to understand when it comes to being poor in spirit, we cannot grow spiritually without being poor in spirit. We cannot grow spiritually without being poor in spirit. Just as we need the Lord to save us and we come to Him in repentance and faith, we need the Lord to grow us spiritually. We are beggars, by the way, and we're bankrupt. And so the way this works out in day-to-day -day life and in our living our Christian life is we need to come to the Lord with this kind of attitude. Lord, I'm weak. I'm needy. I'm so poor and helpless. Please teach me. Please help me. 
Please guide me. Please instruct me. I can't do this on my own. I can't live the Christian life in my own strength. I need you to live your life through me. I need the help and enablement of the Holy Spirit. We need to come as a beggar, come as one who's poor in spirit, realizing that within ourselves, we don't have it. We're bankrupt, but we have Christ now. And so we come to Him and we come in an attitude of humility. We come in poorness of spirit, seeking Him to work and move in our lives. One author really helped me. He talked about the fact that um, it helped him to realize that he was poor in spirit and he didn't have to pull it all together before he came to the Lord. You know, we do that sometimes, don't we? Our lives get into a mess. We sin, we fail. And we sometimes might think along these lines, well, I've got to get my act together. And I've got to get these things correct. And I've got to set this thing right. And I've got to, get, I've got to pull things together and then I'll come to the Lord. No, friend, that, that's not the way it works. That's pride. We need to come to the Lord and humble ourselves and realize that we are poor in spirit and come in the midst of our messes. Come to Him in humility. But I mean, what are we thinking? We're going to pull ourselves together. We're going to get our act together and then we're going to come to God. <laughs> Who are we fooling? As Max Licato said, you don't impress the officials of NASA with your paper airplane. Uh, you don't boast of your crayon sketches in, in the presence of Picasso. He said, you don't proclaim equality with Einstein because you can write H2O and you don't boast about your goodness in the presence of the perfect. Who are we to say, we're going to get our act together, then we're going to come to God. We can't get our act together. We're poor in spirit. We're helpless and hopeless without the Lord Jesus. But He's given us His Spirit within us. And He's invited us to come and find grace to help in our time of need. And so as citizens of the kingdom, we come and we realize we're poor in spirit and we humble ourselves and we come saying, Lord, I need Your help. Teach me, guide me, grow me. I want you to work in my life. But here's the kicker. This is a good thing. This is not a guilt trip today. It's actually a celebration in a sense. Why? Because it says, not only are we poor in spirit, but when we are poor in spirit, we are blessed. Now think about that. We're blessed. We're spiritually bankrupt. We're a beggar. But because we are, we're blessed. That's what Jesus said. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I know it seems strange. Someone wrote that someone has said it is as if Jesus crept into the display window of life and changed all the price tags. It's all different, it's all backward. One need no go, go no further than the opening statement of the Beatitudes to confirm this. The world says that those who find happiness are the achievers, those with ambition, drive and thrust, the wealthy, the popular, the gifted, the enterprising, the assertive, the so-called beautiful people, those with positive image and ego to match. Yet in a single sentence, Jesus turns the whole philosophy upside down and says that the deep inner joy 
which results from knowing God's favor belongs not to those who give every appearance of being on top of the human heap, but to those who are poor in spirit. He turns it upside down. Write this reference down and memorize this verse. Look at it. It blesses me so. But I am poor and needy. Look at it. Yet the Lord thinks upon me. You are my helper, my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. We are poor. We are needy. We are bankrupt. We're spiritual beggars. And yet God says, you are blessed. You're poor and needy, but I think about you. I help you. I deliver you. Now remember that word blessed. It's not just human emotion. It's not just happy. It means we're approved of God. It's how God views such people. It means that those type of people are highly favored. And notice it says that the poor in spirit are blessed and theirs, that is the poor in spirit, is the kingdom of heaven. We have the kingdom of heaven. Also referred to as the kingdom of God elsewhere. Notice the present tense. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of God. So, a preacher, what's the kingdom of heaven? What's the kingdom of God? What is it that we have? I like uh, Ogilvy's uh, definition. I put John. I think it's actually Lloyd is his name. But look at what it says. The kingdom of God means the reign, rule, and resources of God. Now think about that. Because we're spiritually bankrupt, because we understand that we've come to the Savior, we have the kingdom of God, we have the reign, the rule, and the resources of God. And by the way, we said, notice the present tense, it is, there is the kingdom of God, and so we have this now. But we don't have it fully. There's a now element and there's a future element to it. As John MacArthur noted, the kingdom and grace and glory, grace now and glory later. One day we're fully going to have the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God in all of its glory when the Lord Jesus rules and reigns. But we have it now. Beloved, do you understand? Do you see how blessed the bankrupt really are? The spiritually poor really are? We don't have it together. And that's a good thing. It's a blessed thing. Now that doesn't encourage you. I don't know what does. To hear today, the Lord Jesus is teaching here that you don't have it together. You're poor. You're a beggar. You're spiritually bankrupt. But you're blessed. It's a glorious thing. Because you have me, my kingdom, my rule, my reign, my resources. You have me. You have the kingdom of God. That's a blessed thing, but it's not always the easiest thing, is it? Stephen Davey in his book on the Beatitudes tells a story from the life of Johnny Erickson Tata. I don't know. Anybody know the story of Johnny? You know who Johnny, Johnny is? A few of you do. If you don't know her story, it would be well worth reading. Johnny is uh, quadriplegic. She became one after having a diving accident. And God has used her in a tremendous way for His honor and His glory. And I'll be honest with you, 
I'm humble whenever I hear her. Uh, the depth of her spiritual um, maturity is humbling. And the grace of God operates in her life as she ministers in a glorious way. But um, he tells a story about... Um, uh, he said that she wrote in a magazine article of being a speaker at a Christian women's conference. And one woman said, Johnny, you always look so together, so happy in your wheelchair. I wish I had your joy. I wish I had your joy. And I want you to hear what Johnny said. And I'm quoting her. Quote, here's what Johnny said. I don't do it. In fact, let me tell you how I woke up this morning. This is my average day. Now remember, she's a quadriplegic. This is my average day. After my husband, Ken, leaves for work at 6 a.m., I'm alone until I hear the front door open at 7. That is when a friend arrives to get me up. While I listen to her make coffee, I pray, Lord, my friend will soon give me a bath, get me dressed, sit me up in my chair, brush my hair and teeth, and send me out the door. I don't have the strength to face this routine one more time. I have no resources. I don't have a smile to take into this day. But you do. May I have yours. And she said, so whatever joy you see today was hard won this morning. And in reality, it is only what I begged from God today. That, beloved, is a picture of a Christian, a citizen of the kingdom of God, who is poor in spirit but blessed, helped, loved. Stephen Davies said, blessed are the bankrupt beggars. Oh, and don't forget, they have also inherited the kingdom of heaven. How blessed we are today that Jesus has turned the whole thing upside down. And because we're poor, we're truly, truly rich. Father, I pray today that you would seal these truths to our hearts. And Lord, I've wrestled with them this past week. And I know I've not yet fully grasped the glorious meaning in these words but I've caught a glimpse. And Lord, I pray today that you would minister to the heart of each one who's listened to these words. And I pray if anybody here has never realized their sinful condition, the fact that they're spiritually bankrupt and cannot save themselves, they're lost, they're condemned, they're headed to a Christless eternity in hell, and they've never placed their faith in Christ, never repented of their sin, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in their life right now. Convict them of their sin. Show them their need. 
and bring them to saving faith. And then, Father, for those of us to know you, Lord, would you help us to understand just how needy we really are. We are beggars. But we're blessed when we come begging to you. And you delight to help us. You delight to minister your grace into our life. And so, Father, I pray that whatever the need may be, that you would bring folks today upon this altar. They would pour out their hearts and find grace to help in their time of need. Thank you, Father, for this time and for this truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Our closing hymn is 342. I quoted from it earlier in the message, Rock of Ages Cleft for Me. I hope the invitation is clear today. If you need to be saved, I'll be right down front. I'd love to welcome you today and take you to the Scripture and share Christ to lead you to the cross. And then, child of God, if you want to come and pray today, we would invite you to do so. The altar is open. So you come today. 342, let's stand together and sing, Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me.